gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex Retweet. All right, troops, I'm just going to start this show with saying I am indeed hungover. Hungover to fuck, some would say, but we're going to have a good show nonetheless here on ESSR's feature. Um, today we are talking about authority figures in wrestling and those of you who listened to the Central Show last week will know that my intros were sort of put together on the fly. Didn't really have a theme for them, so this week I was like, you know what, I'm going to figure out what was number one in each and every single one of my panellist birthdays. Before we get to anyone else, I found out that mine was Wannabe by the Spice Girls, so I'm very, very excited about that one. Get the very on brand. Very, get the Spice Girls reference out of the way. No, um, Want to be actor? Want to be, want to be actor, writer, director, podcast host, a good person. Um, but yeah, anyway, who but, do you think you are? Want to be sober? <laughs> want to be sober? Right, for sure. Um, but if anyone thought that I messed up names in the Central Show when it came to Japanese wrestlers. Imagine my thoughts when a panelist sent me a song by people named Renee and Renato. I was like, nah, this is not going to go well. <laughs> uh, but it's very, it's very apropos because the lyrics go, I can't wait to hold you and kiss you. Don't know how much I've missed you. Um, save your love for me. Gary Kernan, how's it going? Oh, David, thank you so much. I've been looking forward to today's show, talking about uh, authority figures. We get the chance to talk about the ultimate heel authority figure, Stephen Wilson, at some yes, point. Yes. Uh, ultimate, the yeah, man almost as, oh, uh, almost as ineffective yeah. as Mike Adamley. Bring yes. back the anonymous ESSR general <laughs> manager, I say. <laughs> I was going to take a guess as to who it will be, but I'll get in trouble, so I'm going to move on. This man's um, number one was Five Live by George Michael and Queen. Uh, Queen is very appropriate, considering he is the biggest drama queen on the podcast. (laughs) Not only can he not make any draft that we do, he's always in that group chat. He's like, am I not getting a point here, Stephen? Oh, you seen fucking Matt Riddle's foot, Stephen? Give me a point, Stephen. (laughs) And it's apropos, you know, that he is, uh, George Michael is in this song considering we used to be a partnership but I am the George Michael of the partnership and he is the one who no one remembers their name <laughs> ladies and gentlemen it is Ross McLeod I was going to say it's actually and then I forgot the other guy for Wham so yeah <laughs> <laughs> you should have just went I'm the George Michael of the partnership and he's that other guy just leave it at that <laughs> <laughs> I literally could not be bothered I've been going. accused of being a drama queen by David Campbell I know what I was going to say I was going to say don't throw stones in glass houses but fair Boys, enough I just can't believe I can't believe the disrespect being shown to Mr Andrew Ridgely on this show already did you say that he looked his name? phone because he's definitely Wikipedia that name <laughs> no. not at all love one <laughs> yeah, no, no, not at all <laughs> you heard him speak there guys but his number one was by a band called UB40 which is what people say to him when they see he's receiving the airline <laughs> 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 At his wedding, they they want him to play Can't Help Falling In Love With You for the first dance, but instead of it being with his missus, he's actually just going to get a cardboard cutout of Hudson Edwards. He might be leaving us at one point to go and catch the Celtic game. It's Ryan Gallagher. Listen, all I want to say on this 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 show, it's been pointed out that my hair is receding before. Listen, you can't recede, but you never had, boys. So, <laughs> I 
was, I was never there to recede. I've always thought like Batman, the signals all seem put out there. So listen, <laughs> I might, I might be baldy, but I'm still the, the nicest looking baldy guy on this show. Gary's here, so no. But anyway, the next, <laughs> the next panelist is the Out There Brothers are apparently a rap group, so I'm going to rap a wee bit of it, and then I've decided to freestyle the rest of it for this guy's intro. That's so it says, helping. look out below, here comes the brother with the offbeat flow. I just fell from the mothership, Out There Brothers about to rip on another tip slip. I'm the GOAT, and I'm the man. This man produces my YouTube show the best he can. He is the host of Quiz Showdown. You better not get wide or Ryan's going to want to throw down. It is Daniel Campbell. How's it going? I will actually take that. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know who the Outwear Brothers were, so that was the best I could come up with. Literally the only thing I know about my birthday in terms of charts is that take that went to number one the week after because my family would take that daft that's as much as i knew <laughs> you'll never forget that one mate oh, oh, and guess and what that was the song <laughs> and, and last but certainly not least this man um had an iconic australian duo um sing the song on the day he was born which is ironic because we're kind of like that partnership uh, one of us is a beautiful blonde and busty um front woman uh, and myself, the, the women's champion of Eat Sleep Suplex Retreat and the new face of feminism, David Campbell. Uh, and the other man is known for <laughs> his array of multicoloured dream coats uh, by Nike, is it? No? No, 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 Ladies and gentlemen, I've just got an audience crack you, Aji. Yes, you have. That, that there is brand appropriation. It is Adidas. Know your stripes. <laughs> Last I saw him, that offended. It was when I introduced him on Quiz Show. Then one is Quacko Nike. Oh, we can't even stop it. He gets annoyed at it. He's anyway, upset. David, you've got a show to host, so just do it. Well, just <laughs> just do it. And we are talking about um, authority figures in wrestling today. So in part two, we are going to go into our best and worst authority figures in wrestling. So stay around for that bit. But the first part, we just want to go over the history, sort of get a general groundwork laid for what makes a good and a bad authority figure. So I'm going to come with you for the first part of that question, Ryan. Um, what do you think makes the best authority figures in the world of wrestling? What are the traits that they have to have? I think it's just somebody that's there. See somebody that's on screen, they've got a bit of a presence about them, you know, a kind of big personality that that's respected as well. You know, you look at some of the best GMs across the years, which we will touch on uh, very soon, somebody that you can believe other people respect. You know, we, mm. we know in wrestling that everybody's got a, a role to play, right? And it's all kayfabe and whatever. But if you're wanting to actually believe it, you, it has to be somebody that you believe is going to actually step in and take charge of a situation if something breaks down if you need to make a tag team match player you need somebody to step <laughs> in and, and make that situation you know kind of work yeah and Gary do you agree with Ryan is there anything else you'd add on there or is it about having a presence that's sort of respected and believable in that role yeah, definitely would agree with that. The other thing I would, the only thing I would add to Ryan's list is um, they've got to be a great talker. They've mm. got to be ultimately superiorly confident on the mic and be able to hold an audience and verbally joust with the with with the the superstars that they're in the ring with. And we've seen over the years. Um, some of the general managers, some of the authority figures haven't been up to that so you've got to be able to deal with that with that mm. rowdy audience 
Yeah, definitely. And Ross, uh, coming to you in the flip side of this here, um, is that what makes a bad uh, authority figure? Is the unbelievability and the mic skills, or are there other pieces at play that things just don't quite click uh, with the worst authority figures we see in wrestling? Yeah, I think, obviously, we talk, we'll talk later on, because Quacko is on this show and Teddy Long is his boy. So, like, <laughs> And we all love Teddy Long on this show, and it's like... When he was first appointed, he was a manager. It was kind of a strange appointment. Obviously, it worked mm. out. And then, obviously, on the flip side, Mike Adamley, or Mike Adamley, Jim, who I'm going to call him, became uh, <laughs> general manager. Oh, love, love that you just messed up the name of the man that became famous for messing up other people's names, <laughs> Jim Harvey. <laughs> he he came on here and he just it was totally unbelievable. And I think something obviously. Gary was saying there, they have to be confident in the mic, they have to be able to joust with the current superstars. Something I think is important, it's not somebody that's passed it. You can't just put any ex-wrestler in there, because we saw we cut Angle. His, his mic skills, for whatever reason, had just completely left him by the time he was general manager on Raw. Look at his knees, apparently. So you'd like... Yeah. Uh, oh, Jesus. You'd like uh, Mick Foley as well. Uh, so you'd like uh, Kevin Owens and Chris Jericho running rings around these guys. Mm. And the general manager, who's meant to be this respected figure, being left there looking like an absolute tool. And you're ending mm. up rooting for the bad guys, which is not what general managers are supposed to get you doing. Yeah, and Daniel, just on the coming off of that, like we've had good and bad general managers over the years and authority figures in wrestling. In recent times, it seems to be versioning the worst. It's been a while since we had a really good one on Raw and SmackDown. The debate we'll have in the future, but just to kick us off, do we need authority figures in wrestling? Right now, given how... Well, if we look at WWE right now, your authority figures are basically just the random producer that they have appear that week. Right now, it appears to be Adam Pearce, who's been every now and then coming in, making shows or playing Postman Pearce and handing around a contract. Here, sign this. The title match is going to happen. That's a SummerSlam. Please sign. What, Roman, you're not signing it just now? Any, any other general manager would have had Roman sign the contract before the match. Yeah. Like, they, you have uh, the authority figures are maybe there for a reason. They're either neutral and will make sure everything runs nice and fair, babyface who will try and quash whatever the heels are doing, or your dastardly heel who will side with like, your heel world champion. Mm-hmm. But right now, it just feels a bit misguided. Even the same, I would say the same as well in AEW. There's no direct person, it's just this random ranking system which yeah. is a pile of crap so I think I think there is a need for G, for authority figures right now and Kwaku where do you stand do you agree or disagree with Daniel and the points he's making there yeah absolutely because uh, to me like when you look at, think about some of the greatest general managers and commissioners over the years when you actually look at them in terms of stature or whatever let's be honest they're not exactly going to hold themselves in like a fighting scene if you put mm-hmm. them if you so let's take for example Theodore Long he had a long term like kind of rivalry with JBL if you throw them to the ring you know it's game over for Teddy Long in terms of fighting however Teddy Long had even though he had that character about him he still had that authority over JBL and he made JBL's life a misery so you need to have that kind of respect there and that's what an authority figure should be Ross Factor in my opinion needs that right now Mm, I love how Quacko's managed to get an ample amount of Teddy Long references Oh, in, it's going uh, to happen the first, all day the long. the first couple of minutes of this show, but I'd be I want to get in, 
<laughs> I want to get into the, the sort of history of the authority figure in wrestling so we can sort of track where it's came, what were the best and worst bits about each sort of type of role that people used to take on and where we'll take us right up to the present day and have a return to that topic that Daniel was bringing up about uh, Mr. Postman Pierce and his role. Uh, but Gary, I want to come to you first because one of the first sort of well-known authority figures in wrestling was was a guy who didn't appear all that often. It was uh, President Jack Tunney uh, of the WWE who was uh, synonymous with the Golden Era and Hulkamania and stuff like that. What are your memories of, uh, of Mr. Jack Tunney? So Jack Tunney lasted a hell of a long time in his role. It was up to 1995. Mm-hmm. He was in that role and only came away from being the on-screen authority figure because the behind-the-scenes role that he played with WWE being their man in the ground in Canada because that came to an end otherwise he probably would have continued in the role yeah. but Jack Tunney he was not char- 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 um, charismatic by any stretch of the imagination he wasn't a great <laughs> promo either but he was unique at the time because you know the way he, he dressed for example um, he did carry himself um, when he walked into the room, he had a degree of presence, but he, he appeared so infrequently that meant when he did appear that suddenly people took notice and mm-hmm. he, he very rarely, I think only once I can remember him ever getting into a physical altercation of any way, which was at Tuesday in Texas, which is just coming up for like nearly 20 years ago, I think, um, yeah. 30 years ago, mm-hmm. um, when um, Ric Flair hit him in the back with a steel chair, which meant he'd never seen the end of the Hogan Undertaker match, which led to the yeah. title being vacated. So he was involved with lots of big moments, like he overseen the coin toss that decided whether it would be Lex Luger or Bret the Hitman Hart that wrestled first at WrestleMania 10. You Iconic know, moments. moments. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that. But he appeared so infrequently that it meant that when he did appear, that people paid attention, you know, sat up and paid attention to it. Mm-hmm. And Ross, I'll come to you because you've obviously done the retro rewind. You watch a lot of uh, older wrestling that maybe was perhaps before your time. Uh, with what Gary's talking about, the infrequency of Jack Tunney, is that something that's maybe lost as we go forward in generations and that we have authority figures shoved down our throat every second of every day? Was the Jack Tunney role something that maybe could be sort of copied uh, going forward, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think for anybody that's not seen Jack Tunney, um, the era where maybe there wasn't too many authority figures but Vince McMahon was still in charge and mm-hmm. wasn't appearing frequently every so often when no chance in hell played when that heel champion eventually got their due the crowd went mental because it was like mm-hmm. your dad's here something's gone <laughs> <laughs> your dad's here he's not happy <laughs> and like you know you talked about authority figures being shoved in the throat um, when Shane and Daniel Bryan were in charge of Smackdown I remember there being an episode, it was when they were deciding who would go to WrestleMania, AJ Styles or Randy Orton. Yeah. And the commentary team on the way to the ring said everything in the promo that Daniel Bryan and Shane McMahon then said in the ring. Mm-hmm. So with the likes of Jack Tunney and Vince McMahon later on, th- those pointless things were never said. You know, mm-hmm. when they showed up, you knew something was going down. You knew that the WWE title had been vacated. You knew that in Jack Tunney's case, he was announcing the tournament for WrestleMania 4. You knew mm-hmm. big stuff went down. And like obviously Kwaku and Gary pointed on, these weren't physical people. These weren't people that, well actually AJ, if you want a WrestleMania match, I'll fight you in the in the same sort of way Shane McMahon is. These were people, these were businessmen. They were, they couldn't 
beat up a JBL or a Hulk Hogan, but mm-hmm. they could put them in matches, they could stamp their authority and make sure they had to defend their title as a champion. I think that's what I like about the President's role and obviously it continued, uh, Mr Gorilla Monsoon uh, took it over an absolute icon um, in the commentary booth but did a decent job uh, carrying on Jack Tunney's legacy but it all changed when we sort of hit the attitude era or thereabouts the authority role on TV was used for a lot more storyline purposes obviously in the aftermath of the uh, the Montreal Screwjob we saw the emergence of the the Mr McMahon character um, on television WWE and this it sort of corresponded with the emergence of Eric Bischoff on WCW television Ryan what do you think about that transition from Obviously, Vince is being forced from the shadows in the aftermath of the Montreal screw job. Um, but also, what do you think about the sort of a uh, duality with him on WWE TV and Eric Bischoff playing a similar role on WCW? I think it's one of them ones where it's believable. It's probably the most believable that there's been for, you know, even since then. It's probably the mm-hmm. most believable one. If you go back through everybody who's been GM, GM since, um, obviously maybe when Bischoff became Raw GM, there was a wee bit on, on that kind of, mm-hmm. um, kind of fun that was believable. But I think, see, having the guys who are running the company, being in charge on screen, making big decisions, like for me, that is what I look for. It's what I'm still looking for. You know, mm-hmm. although people give kind of Vince uh, a hard time just now for, for no stepping back and you know people say let Triple H take over or whatever it is yeah I, I think having somebody like Vince he's the only person I, I can believe is going to come in and make like a crucial decision on something that's not going to get overlooked by anybody else so mm-hmm. back in the day you know if you've got the, the Monday Night Wars going on at the time you get two big guys on screen so the top the top guys in the company the guys that are running the show <laughs> on screen actually getting involved and running the shows as well it just it adds to that you know it's almost like having a captain at the yeah. And it's also, it's a big contrast as well, Daniel, like we talked about, no physicality uh, with the president's role to Vince McMahon, who was spearheading storylines. Uh, we still talk about his rivalry with Stone Cold Steve Austin, things did with The Rock. You can look later down the line, matches with Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania. You know what I mean? What do you think about the legacy that was set up with the Mr. McMahon character and that we had authority figures being major part of the storyline? for the first time and being physically involved and what do you think the positives and negative ripple effects of that have been well in terms of the legacy of this sort of, like the, the actual involved like authority figure character it was it was a complete change from you know they just show up they say something and they leave this was someone who you know they would actually put their own stamp of authority if you don't mm. comply with what i'm telling you well i am actually going to do something about it and it's not just me saying something i will actually go and kick your ass yeah. It's that kind of level of things i'd say in terms of positives it opened the it opened plenty of doors with stories because mm. then you were getting austin and mcmahon which was one of the highest rated uh main event segments on raw i believe mm-hmm. i think it was like austin with one hand behind his back something That's like right. that yeah uh, then that led to, you know, stuff like St. Valentine's Day Massacre and that glorious back bump through the table off the cage yeah. for McMahon. The man yeah. is mental. Uh, <laughs> as for negatives, I would say it's when... I'd say there's, t- there's an extent where they become too involved. Mm. And my big one, the big one I would think on that, controversial it might be, is Eric Bischoff in the NWO. I feel to, there was a point where it, 
it was like he was involved with it which is fair enough like he's there in on the runnings of things but when it was getting to the point where there was you know sold out and all these nwo shenanigans that were just being allowed to happen every week mm. it just becomes repetitive and there's nothing new so the, the concern that I always have whenever a new GM is is that if they get involved too heavily it just becomes very stale yeah and that's the thing it's these real life figures having all that involvement Kwaku isn't it because like Daniel said there's a plethora of, of memories we have of Vince McMahon and the positives but you look at real life authority figures injecting themselves into storylines in the future look at Jeff Jarrett in TNA wrestling look at what Dixie Carter tried to do in TNA wrestling sometimes it doesn't work and a lot of people need to realise that they aren't unfortunately Vincent Kennedy McMahon Aye, but just to jump in there, um, before before Quacky makes his point, are you trying to say Dixie Carter did not do a good job? I would I would argue <laughs> that Dixie Carter I can't tell if you're being funny, but I am saying she didn't do a good job. I. <laughs> she did a hulking job. I mean, it's really fascinating points the guys are bringing up. I think when you, when you look at the emergence of the Mr. McMahon character, and Bischoff to an extent as well, it was the internet era, you know, folk mm. were having their telephones shoved into their computers and being able to access all this information for the first time. So, <laughs> but we knew, aye, so we knew that Vince was really the man, So this, even though he was playing the commentator at the time. Mm-hmm. And actually, when he stepped into that role reluctantly as such at the time, that was the first time that the WWF had had a heel authority figure because mm. Jack Tunney and Gorilla Monsoon were baby faces, or, or maybe more in the case of Tunney, neutral. Yeah. So the promotion had never had a heel leader as such. And that was something that then, you know, going forward, WWF in particular had a long history of the promotion being the heel. Yeah. Uh, and that's maybe where some of it got a wee bit. <laughs> she was coming to sort shit out. <laughs> the fuck in the Linda Pop is the best thing in wrestling. I just like, it should be a thing like defined by boring character who <laughs> inexplicably gets the loudest pop of the night from exactly. a team. It's, it's absolutely insane. I but, think it also um, helps with her theme music as well. Just when you hear that music, you're just like, oh! <laughs> <laughs> really? There's nothing I'd like more than a Linda. Nothing I'd want more than a Linda return. Daniel said about sometimes they can get too involved. Hmm. That's something as well I'm, I'm quite wary myself of. Um, I, I quite liked Shane McMahon when he first became SmackDown general manager. Mm, yeah. But the thing there is you, you wait to see if they want the authority figure to fight. So mm. in the case of Daniel Bryan Miz, the fans were clamouring for that. They wanted... Daniel Bryan versus Miz whereas in the case of mm-hmm. Shane McMahon it was it's Wrestlemania we need a match for Undertaker Shane and Triple H mm. who are they fighting and yeah. it got to near the end I like Shane McMahon that near the end he did become a bit tiresome he did just it's like oh it's another McMahon yeah and it just it, it's waiting to see that fight you want to see Miz and AJ against uh, Shane was good, but mm-hmm. did we really need it? Was MD clamouring for it? No. No, you're right. It was still a really good match. Mm-hmm. No, no, it was, it was still a very good match. It's just the the build up to it, Shane was a bit, bit of a pain. And mm-hmm. it happened the next year as well when he was going up against KO and Sami Zayn. 
I think that the, the problem is, you know, it's, Ross is right in what he says, you know, you've got these authority figures who are meant to be authority figures, but it seemed as if, you know, I agree with you, Quacko, the match was good with, with Shane and, and AJ, but it was almost like they were trying to force it into a storyline rather than just kind of, mm. I, I know nothing's really organic in wrestling as it now, but if you're going to have him as a wrestler, don't have him being the guy in charge first of all and then try to moonlight as a wrestler. You know, <laughs> either have, have him doing one or the other thing. Don't, don't have yeah. him across the screen. I, I completely get what you mean and obviously that was actually something that happened when we go into the, the late 90s because the commissioner role was established in WWE and you had all these wrestlers who couldn't quite wrestle but still were quite active like Slaughter, Michaels, Mick Foley. Deborah, uh, William Regal, and Mick. <laughs> we're going to take Deborah out of the equation. The She's not even a factor. You know what I mean? We're going to take it out of the equation. Uh, but the commissioner rule led to good things. My problem with them was um, they had authority, but they were always below the McMahon family. So in that sense, they seemed disposable. That that did change when we get to um, 2002, and we have the brand split. Raw and SmackDown, and we need definitive general managers for each show. Uh, Quacky, I'm going to come to you with this. Obviously, when they set up the, the brand split, and initially they wanted to play up in this Raw versus SmackDown um, thing and to create two competing brands. Do you think having two distinct figureheads at the helm of these brands helped with that rivalry? It really did. And particularly when it was announced, it was kind of like um, when you had Stephanie and uh, Shane in the ring and they were kind of competing like saying that um, it's like brother and sister fighting although this isn't over like the remote control at home this is about a whole TV show going around yeah. the world and mm-hmm. they were trying to pick up each other with who they had as their general manager kind of thing mm-hmm. and normally Mick Foley would be a huge name for something but it was only just beaten by Shane and they mm-hmm. were making two totally different shows with SmackDown the land of opportunity. I don't know what the hell they were trying on Raw, but anyway, <laughs> it is what it is. So it was just that competition. It, it, it really made you feel like, are you on the red brand or are you on the blue brand? And we also, well, that was in 2016, and even uh, before that, we had the rivalry between, obviously, Bischoff and Heyman uh, being brought in uh, for Raw and SmackDown. Uh, Daniel, what did you think of, of that? Vince McMahon bringing in the former head of WCW and the former head of ECW to head up these two shows. It was interesting. Let us not forget the circumstance of Paul Heyman being brought in as the authority figure. The lovely father-daughter I Quit match at No Mercy 2003. I didn't want to bring that up. (laughs) Well, I thought I'd have to because we need to give context to how fucking bonkers this was. So, (laughs) let's look back at the Heyman sort of thing. So, Heyman is brought in. Heyman had already been, as we all know, he was in behind the scenes of Smackdown. the, The Smackdown 6 there's not much else needs to be said about that you know how good he was doing and then they needed an authority figure to complement the sort of work that Eric Bischoff was doing because Mm -hmm. Eric Bischoff was on Raw he was helping Evolution then you have Heyman on Smackdown he's helping you know his uh, his future client the Beast soon to be Brock Lesnar he's helping to build the now emerging babyface John Cena they're helping to prep uh, Chris Benoit for his world title run the following year in 2004. He start like there's a lot of things that he started doing there, but then you only ever saw them like really go face to face maybe like twice, 
over yeah. the whole time. There was the Royal Rumble, they did a segment, and then there was the draft when mm. uh, Heyman was finished up on screen. So I think on that, they did have dynamic- the great the great promo in the lead up to the first one night stand. Oh uh, yeah, pay per view as well. They had that. Uh, I love that the three of them in the ring at the mm. same time. Oh, goosebump moment, goosebump <laughs> moment. <laughs> um, but obviously, the, the, Ross, this is quite funny that the end of the general manager era comes from a man. Uh, a very controversial figure in Donald Trump uh, who buys Raw very briefly um, and and states an idea for guest hosts to come in uh, and and be the authority figure on Raw on a weekly basis Ross, in brief uh, if you can, what are your thoughts on the guest host era of Monday Night Raw? I've often watched many a pull apart brawl with Randy Orton and John Cena when when referees can't stop it, when security can't stop it, when the locker room comes out and can't stop it, and I think to myself, do you know who could sort this? Sean Osborne. Is <laughs> <laughs> the woman we need right now. And failing that, I think the star of the hit film Killers, Ashton Kutcher, could be a sensational <laughs> SmackDown general manager. The man was in that 70s show. That was a land of opportunity for up-and-coming stars. Smackdown is a land of opportunity. Jesus. All I would say, Ross, is stop right there before you go any further. If you bring Hugh Jackman into this, I will fight you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Ryan, on the flip side, were there positives to the the guest host here on Raw? uh, No. No, there wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you said you will fight Ross. I think you just went, that was passion. <laughs> I just didn't, I mean, want, I didn't want a personal attack on Hugh Jackman at any point because I know that he was floating about and Hugh Jackman's over him and he looks like a Hugh Jackman. Listen, Marlon, no, I thought was top notch, all right? But no, Ross is, Ross is spot on, to be fair. Know. Ross is spot on, to be fair. That was a total like market employee and bringing folk in. But Of course, yeah. But... but it takes away from your product then it makes a kind of laughing stock of your product and what you're trying to do oh come on Ryan Bob Barker pl- plays the <laughs> that was gold like, Ryan, it, was, you- it was gold because of Chris Jericho to be fair uh, but listen you have to be care- you have to be careful criticising anything with this Brian because if you do you will be banned from the Summerfest <laughs> and it's a who's who of hosts, isn't it? Um, Mark Furystein, whoever the fuck he is, Florence Henderson, <laughs> Dad Ococino, uh Toby Keith. I mean, everybody knows who he is. Hi, <laughs> James Roddy. Uh, it goes on. Jared Fogey. Does that ring any bells to anybody? Yeah, Jared Fogel, the fucking well-known paedophile. <laughs> it's the guy for the subway advert. The, the grumpy cat, remember that one? Oh Jesus Christ! The Muppets, the Muppets uh, were class. Oh, that was good. Yeah, that easy class. top. That was good. Uh-huh. Ricky Hatton. Uh, that was one. <laughs> once. Uh-huh. I, can, I cannot yeah, believe all, all I you have mentioned Kevin Federline. I was literally <laughs> about to say Kevin Federline. <laughs> 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 Kevin man. I'm just looking. Kevin. Kevin Federline's got a WWE victory. That's mental, isn't it? I'm just looking, over I'm John looking, Cena as well. Over <laughs> Cedric, Cedric, Cedric the Entertainer. Timbaland. Mm. That's maybe way through the list. It was quite good to see Jesse Ventura back in Raw. That is very true. See with Jesse Ventura. So, like, see when the guest host thing first started, the first person out was Batista. 
Mm-hmm. So he was injured and he got brought back to maybe like make Randy Orton's life a bit of, bit of hell, a bit of mm-hmm. revenge. Then you had uh, Ted DiBiase and he made the main event for that that month's Clash of Champions or Night of Champions, whatever it was at the time. Yeah. And it sounds pretty good when you're on a pay-per-view and the WWE title has been defended and like, this match was put together by the Hall of Famer, the Million Dollar Man. Mm-hmm. So then you get to SummerSlam and it's like, Jeremy Piven and <laughs> Chow... No, it's Summerfest. Aye, Summerfest, sorry. <laughs> Jeremy Piven and Chow for the Hangover put this together. Like, it, it really, it really <laughs> takes away from it. <laughs> and uh, Gary, I'll stick with you here because um, it doesn't get much better where we didn't say we have a a whole host of authority, uh, authority fuck-ups, basically. <laughs> we, go from, we, go, we go from the guest host to the anonymous GM uh, to the summer of Triple H uh, taking over as CEO, which leads us into Big Johnny. Uh, the start of the, the late 2000s, the late 20, the start of the 2010s was not very uh, great for authority figures, it has to be said. No, I think this is where we got into the period of the authority figures being overexposed and mm-hmm. Big Johnny in particular appearing on both Raw and SmackDown. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at one, once upon a time he was interesting. Yeah. But seeing it, you know, that the summer summer of punk, his appearances there, it added, I think that added a dimension to that feud. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, just a small part of it, of course, but still added something to it, I think. But yeah, you're just overexposing them. And, you know, we're going to talk about her in the second half. Uh, fucking Stephanie McMahon. She's <laughs> ev- everywhere. Wait, you know, a McMahon? Uh, just, you know, dial it down a little bit. You know, sometimes less is more. And we Aye. don't need to see them all the time. And I think that was this is in this year in particular we started seeing them. And WWE got to a point where they couldn't book without the presence of a authority figure. Now we see the complete opposite, where yeah. it makes no sense not having an authority figure because you have. I mean, we've mentioned Adam Pearce already, but remember the moment where Ricochet was booking f- f- four-way matches on the Fly and Raw <laughs> as well. Yeah. It was you know didn't did a good job. <laughs> But that's the thing, uh, then we move through the, the newer uh, general manager era and it comes to an end, Kwaku, basically uh, with the, the man who they pinned to the wall for, for ending the general manager era on Monday Night Raw is Baron Corbin, who they decide that the McMahons come out and say, this is your fault that this has happened, Baron. You've done such a bad job. You've, you've alienated all our fans. The general managers are done. What did you think of Baron Corbin as, as constable and acting GM? And do you blame Baron Corbin uh, for the end of the authority figure in WWE? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> probably because I think they must have just had that. Yeah, this is never going to work again, and I think they're kind of fearful because, let's be honest, you it was just so boring. Yeah, it's really, really boring in this role. I know he's a heel. I know he's that and whatever have you, but it was just like I don't hate you because you're a bad guy. I just hate you. Like, can, I, can I jump in there as well, Quacky? Because I think what happened here is we had the period from 2016, sorry, mm-hmm. up to there, where we went from having uh, two authority figures, ideally one for each show. We had four of them. So you had mm-hmm. to find ways to get Stephanie, Mick Foley, Shane, Daniel Bryan, and then 
the others in due course page and um, Corbin and Kurt Angle all into the screen so that's a lot you know mm. those are characters that are taking time away from from the in-ring part of it so I think we got that aspect of it and then but Corbin was boring but also he was playing a part that we'd seen before many times you know this mm. hero that teams up with other bad guys to do down the good guys it was just really kind of lazy storytelling with a character that nobody cared about exactly and it was repetitive and I, I do remember actually uh, I watched I was away at that point so I was watching Raw every week with a bunch of people who'd never seen wrestling before and eventually they kept saying this guy's a bit repetitive isn't he just doing the same thing over and over and I was like Aye, aye, you're completely right, and it, did, it didn't help the cause of getting people into wrestling. Uh, Ross, what's your take uh, on the Baron Corbin era? Yeah, I, I didn't... Obviously, the TV was dire at the time. That's nothing to do with Baron Corbin, like... But the problem was, he wasn't taken away... Like, see when Kurt Angle was general manager, and he hated Eddie Guerrero. Yeah. And he made Eddie Guerrero's life a living hell, and... Eddie Guerrero could never get to him and you know eventually when they had that blow off match it was like he's getting his hands on Kurt Angle he's going to beat the you know living yeah Corbin was still wrestling he was still fighting Finn Balor on a pay-per-view like you know it wasn't as if oh this authority figure's fighting at Wrestlemania it was like no mercy or something like that like he's he's walked up in a suit and tie and he's going to fight Finn Balor yeah and then he's trying to take the universal title from Roman Reigns Mm-hmm. He's trying to screw over Braun Strowman, yeah. and it, it just got to the point where it's like either make yourself champion and make it believable. Because if you had all the power to make yourself champion, you can do it. Keep yeah. bringing him back. Go. By the way, it's a twelve-on-one match, and if somebody pins you, I get the title. You know that's <laughs> quite simple. <laughs> yeah. Or, or just have him as this asshole figure trying mm-hmm. to make somebody's life a living hell, leading mm-hmm. to a match. You know. I do think you get the shit end of the stick, really, because <laughs> the TV was dire. It was the fault of the McMahons that the TV was dire, and they basically <laughs> just came out and went, right, we're going to rebrand this. By the way, Corbin, it's your fault. And then, <laughs> Boo, Corbin, right, do this, man. <laughs> and the real victim in all this was poor Paige, because on SmackDown, <laughs> it was quite good, and she mm-hmm. got sacked. Right. See, I, I jumped in there and I, I said that Corbin was to, to blame for this. Do you know, see, in hindsight, I'm not a massive Corbin fan. Right? I've, I've always actively disliked Baron Corbin and the <laughs> wrestling. But see the type of character that he plays, that kind of bastard heel, it, it actually would have been perfect for a GM. Mm-hmm. I think he was let down by it. I think he could have played that part really fucking well. Like yeah. and, and being that guy that we've been waiting for for ages, but the only problem is he's a wrestler. He's not a washed up wrestler. He's an yeah. active wrestler. So it's trying to find somebody with his characteristics that isn't wrestling anymore. Because completely, yeah, you then muddy the water in between. Yeah, I get, and the authority I get, figure role previously, Ryan had been used for that. Like Gorilla Monsoon became the president because it gave him something to do. His health meant that he could commentate mm-hmm. every week, and he was mm-hmm. sort of less than there. But the fans really rallied behind him. Um, to the extent to Sergeant Slaughter, it gave him a reason, although he was able to be more physical in the ring than the the people that held that role previously. Um, and they're and actually the in case of Monsoon and, and Slaughter when they first started doing it, it did add value. The the segment where um, Monsoon got beat up by Vader, uh, mm. I still think stands the test of time. I think that was great. Yeah. 
But you, you make a really good point there, Mick Foley, um, to an extent as well. It gave some people that still ha- you know, had some value, something to do, which is this sort of counter to we see how the authority figure had been used in other areas mm-hmm. and in other promotions where people have been given their own. Like, Who the fuck's this? <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to wrap up there. We'll look back at the sort of history of this, but you guys are saying, like, despite the negatives we're pointing out, we do need an authority figure. So I'm going to give you the chance to to name me, give me one name who you would bring back as general manager today and what brand would you put them on, Raw or SmackDown? And I'll start with Daniel Campbell. I'd say because I would like to see how it goes given his current role on it, mm-hmm. I'd actually put Heyman on SmackDown. Fair enough, fair yeah, enough. I know, I know obviously going back to the earlier point I made about them being too involved, Heyman would only stick to his storyline. He might mm-hmm. do a little flavour here and there with another storyline, but you know he's there for a set reason. Mm-hmm. So I'd be happy with that. As for Raw, oh, I need I need Easy E back. I need Eric Bischoff. <laughs> Bischoff and Heyman going old school. Ross, what about you for your picks? I would promote, well not promote, move William Regal to Raw. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about how we need someone we respect, someone who will be looked up to, someone who will not take any you-know-what, and someone who, if they need to, can whip you into shape. So as the Mm -hmm. new NXT general manager, to get these youngins in shape, I would have Mark Henry. No, I love that. I love that a lot. Uh, Quacker, I'm going to come to you. Uh, You got any suggestions here? Yes, I'm going to go with the boy. Teddy Long. <laughs> however, of course. however, as the general manager of everything. Yeah. <laughs> however, I'm gonna put him on AEW purely because he'll have an absolutely filled day with all the tag teams there. Oh man, <laughs> that's a great point, Ryan. Can you top that? Tiffany. Tiffany <laughs> <laughs> is all. I forgot elite. about him. <laughs> Bring her back. <laughs> Bring her back. Um, no, I'd probably I'd probably go with Bischoff as well. Bischoff is probably my favourite one that I've that I've seen um, yeah. all my years. It, it was the only one that I believed would be right. was in charge. I get you, I get you, and we're going to Gary. We'll finish with you then. Yeah, I was looking at the list of people that have done it previously. So Ross McLeod pulling one out of the hat there at the bag with mm. uh, Mark Henry. That's a good one. Yeah. I, um, I, I would agree with the guys about Bischoff. I think he, WWE made a mistake when they let him go completely. They could have found a role for him in some way mm-hmm. and had him as an on-screen persona. Would have been great. I think he'd have been wonderful in SmackDown. I think Ross had too many, too much of a history of heel general mm. managers. So if I had to pick, if I could pick anybody from the past to bring back for a, a face general manager Rod look at Rowdy Roddy Piper who was the interim president oh, yeah. in 1996 mm-hmm. after yep. Vader beat up Gorilla <laughs> the famous uh, it's all coming together it's all connecting uh, I have to is this a point me Gary where was Visser on that list but- well, he was never—he was never a general manager. I, know, but I, uh, I, I thought you were the shoehorn. I thought you were the shoehorn the man somehow. I you did that for me. You're going to go one on one player with Viscera. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go outside the box. Storyline reasons. I think you could easily promote MVP to the general manager of Raw. Um, and have the heart business sort of take over there for a wee bit. Um, and in terms of SmackDown, I'd like a face general manager, and I think Beth Phoenix uh, would probably be uh, excellent for that role. Uh, Ryan, do you? 
do you know who I'd quite like to see in a, a GM role one day? Um, yeah. Probably when he finishes wrestling, The Miz. Yeah, great. Terrible. Thank you. You would be fantastic. Great GM. Well, we are talking about who we pick as GM. It was the decision that Stephanie and Shane McMahon had to make uh, when the brand split came back. They had to pick who was going to head up as general managers of both Raw and SmackDown. That's what you're going to be hearing about on the break when they make their decision. But when we come back, we'll be giving you our thoughts and opinions on who are the best and worst authority figures in wrestling history. Until then, stay tuned. Push your wish, it's the wee man, and you're listening to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Ladies and gentlemen, the new general manager of Monday Night Raw! Wow! Oh, Thank you, Stephanie, for this incredible opportunity, and thank you for naming me the general manager of Monday Night Raw right here in Providence, Rhode Island. Have a nice day. Who could I possibly think of? Who could be more popular and better than Mick Foley? Hmm. Ladies and gentlemen. More popular. The SmackDown Live general manager. (laughs) That is huge. Huge. You've got to be kidding me. The last movement is back. Daniel Bryan. I can't believe it! One of those popular superstars of all time had an incredible career cut short. Well, that career is just getting started again as a new general manager of SmackDown. What a move by Shane McMahon! Wow! And remember the battles Daniels had with Stephanie over the years, guys. He's going to want to bring Raw down, put SmackDown at the top of the chart. For a long time, I wasn't sure that I'd ever be able to come back and be in the ring because I loved wrestling too much. Um, But then Shane called me and Shane told me about his, his new ideas for SmackDown, about putting the superstars first instead of putting the management first. About making, about making SmackDown Live something awesome for the WWE Universe. He told me, he told me about the battle lines being drawn between SmackDown Live and Raw and how we had a huge fight ahead of us and how SmackDown Live was the underdog. And then all of a sudden I thought, I can come back. Nice 
think that Daniel Bryan and I are going to ask this one thing. Can take SmackDown Live and turn it into the WWE's juggernaut? Let me ask this one guy. Do you, do you maybe have one word for us? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. You know it's the Mac Militant. Come and get it all. We are back. We're back with a bang. Ready to do it all over again. And we're coming after you. <laughs> It's the SSR Speecher Show. We're talking about authority figures. Don't forget, you can find content in the SSR for a number of places. All good podcasts and platforms, followers and social media, the Twitters, the Facebooks, the Instagrams. Uh, and don't forget to take out our YouTube channel uh, where you can find Quiz Showdown and The Conspiracy Theory where you're getting the best opinion in wrestling punditry history. That is right, my opinion. Uh, come and check out The Conspiracy Theory on YouTube as well as our other content. We've got our new feature show here, Central, uh, where we break down all the news in professional wrestling and of course shows like East Meets West and Saturday Draft Live who've fallen out with but anyway we will we will continue um, with our show today we are talking every panellist is going to get the opportunity to pick their best and worst uh, authority figures in wrestling but what you don't realise guys is this is going to be a bit of a competition so we're going to go around and get everyone's best first and I'm going to decide who has made the most convincing argument and then we're going to do the same for the worst alright and to start us off with the best we'll be starting off with Mr Ryan Gallagher Ryan who is in your opinion the best authority figure in wrestling if you want the best you start with the best and I go with the number one guy in general managerness at the minute yes I made that that word up general <laughs> managerness it's the NXT general manager at the minute, Mr. William Regal. Um, I don't think there's much that you can even argue against William Regal. I think he's been one of the best kind of GMs that there's been in recent years. I spoke earlier on in the show about having people that are convincing over the years. I don't think there's anybody more convincing or that can do a more convincing job than William Regal in NXT at the minute. Yes, he was off screen for a while there. We understand why he was off screen, but he's always there. He's making decisions. You know, if there's a match that needs to be made, if there's two guys in the ring, William Regal's there. He's out, he's making the match, he's making it happen, he's making it make sense. You know, my, my biggest gripe recently with wrestling, um, hosting anyway back to the wrestling, our biggest gripe <laughs> was the fact that there was no general manager on SmackDown. Um, mm. There was nobody making decisions. It just seemed to be that people would just come out, challenge somebody to a fatal four-way match, and it would happen after the break. That doesn't seem believable to me. I don't know who's made the call on that. I don't know who's mm. signed it off. You know, wrestling has to have contracts signed because <laughs> we always see the contract <laughs> signing. Right? There's a contract signed for every match, but apparently when you're on Raw and SmackDown, you don't need to do that. You can just chuck matches out left, right, and centre. Nobody signs them off. William Regal on NXT, he's there every week. He's making the decisions. He's seeing what's happening. His fingers on the pulse, and we're getting what we want. And also, he has some of the best iconic calls of any authority figure in wrestling. Um, more recently, it's been memes where we got the War Games shout the games. War Games! Four out of four at War Games! At War Games! He's always angry, though, isn't he? He's always, mm. always, games always, always the bad mood. 
<laughs> you can't be happy talking about war games, so you need war games. War games. The awards went undisputed there, and just kept on coming up and getting the awards and having a medal. Right, he just looks so pissed off. I'll, I'll never forget. I'll never. My favorite thing. Uh, when I was younger was when he was a uh, raw general manager and every week there'd be someone who had annoyed him and he's like yes you'll go to hell in a cell but first you need to go one on one with your manga see <laughs> 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 something we always forget about William Regal as well people talk about obviously his NXT run they talk about his 2008 raw GM run nobody ever mentions his 2001 commissioner run because and that was fantastic uh, it led all the way to like that's we talked about Corbin use you know using his power to try and become universal champion and failing miserably. William Regal put Chris Jericho through hell to soften him up for a WrestleMania match for the IC title, and that's how you build a great babyface in Chris Jericho, and how you build an absolute asshole of a heel in William Regal because Regal wasn't wrestling Finn Balor every week, you know, like Baron Corbin was. Yeah. He was just. He was standing on the sidelines while six people beat the shit out of Chris Jericho. Yeah, but he was so good at that role, Ross, and he was so despicable that he became so lovable in the end of it. His, his partnership with Tajiri was yeah. was just gold, and he could do that. Uh, he could be serious, he could be you know, convincing bad guy, something you wouldn't want to mess with, and he could do the comedy stuff, and he could move between those. Yeah. I thought he was, he was brilliant at that role. Yeah, uh, it's a strong start for Ryan with the versatility element, what you're saying there, Gary. Um, it's, it's just absolutely brilliant how you can go from one of the most respected people in wrestling uh, to one of the most hated people in wrestling to one of the most laughed at people in wrestling. That's a definite skill you, you've got to have. Which is ironic, considering that's what's going to happen when I move on to my worst person. That's exactly... Exactly. But we're continuing for the, with the best, and uh, I'll come to uh, Daniel. Who was your pick uh, for the the best authority figure? <laughs> How can you not go with Vicky Guerrero? <laughs> like you look for a, a person who obviously, like, to give context to Vicky. So her initial involvement was coming off of the. Rey Mysterio, Chavo Guerrero storyline, she gets offered to be an assistant to Teddy Long, takes over when he has the you know, the heart attack from the uh the whole train interrupting the wedding. Mm-hmm. Uh that that thing, the hand. And she then progresses into this storyline where she starts like she she punishes Edge by making him number one contender to the world title. Then you find out she's in love with Edge, they have their relationship. And she's integrated herself into that core scene. She's a heel that, you know, and because she was siding with Edge, that was the initial thing everyone hated. And then she uttered two magic words. Yeah. And that, like you mentioned earlier, the Linda McMahon pop. Nothing (laughs) will ever, and I mean ever, beat the Vicky Guerrero pop. (laughs) And the Royal Rumble. Do you remember when she came back yeah. um, oh, in the, the Women's Royal Rumble? And she's like, excuse me, and the room just went mental. And I'll never forget as well when um, 
it was actually quite emotional because what like you say with Vicky Daniel like she was there to be, to be hated and mm. she was very good at being hated but yeah. I'll never forget the appreciation she got the night that she got fired from Raw oh, um, yeah. in the mud wrestling match with Stephanie and it was actually it was great to hear the appreciation and applause she got from the live crowd that night who knew you know what Vicky was great at her job and we need to respect her on the way out you know what I mean oh yeah like she's Vicky's put in a lot of work you look at how long she was actually in WWE like properly like if you start kind of a time from when the Eddie and Ray Dominic storyline was going on so that's like 2005 all the way through to like I want to say 2014 somewhere around Mm -hmm. there yeah like that's that's nearly a decade of work she's put in yeah. And she was at top level all the time. I mean, I, I still remember like the the segment. It was her, Cena, and Ziggler, mm-hmm. and she could not get a word in edgeways. And <laughs> Cena is lapping it up. In fact, he runs the length of the ring and just goes, ah, "It's a running gag," which was probably one of his worst jokes ever. Um, he like she she could get a reaction so easily. Like she could yeah. be saying something that you're having to listen to and then just because one person heckles her she'll then just go I said excuse me <laughs> and it's a it's a very very good choice Daniel and the legacy of Vicky Guerrero as GM is one um, she was one of the first the most enduring women in WWE programming for a very very long time um, so it's a very good shout um, talking of women I remember when Alexa Bliss was appointed the supervisor of the Raw Women's Division uh, and then that was scrapped within a matter of weeks uh, it's very similar to what's happening here because uh, Ryan Gallagher you need to bug it off uh, so <laughs> we will talk to you later but the way we're going to work it for the worst GMs just give me your name who you had as the worst GM and I'll try and defend it for you I'm just going to listen there'll be no defending this one right I'm going to put the name out there and then I'm going to mic drop and I'm going to leave the worst GM that there has ever been in the history of wrestling is Paige thank you good night I'll see you later on, boys. So we'll oh, keep, a hat, keep a hat on that, and I'll deal with Paige in a wee minute. But so far, uh, we have Vicky Guerrero, and we have William Regal. I'm going to come to, to Mr. Ross McLeod to give us the next best uh, general manager in history. I'm, I'll not, obviously, try put my point across for worst, but my best and worst is the same person. <laughs> nice. My best... Yeah, is 2000 Commissioner Mick Foley. My mm-hmm. worst is 2016 General Manager Mick Foley. <laughs> <laughs> so, we'll, we'll deal with the 2000 Commissioner first, yeah, Ross. So what was great about him? We're coming off uh, an amazing Linda McMahon pop because <laughs> the McMahons are all over the product. You know, Shane's running a mock. He's managing Chris Benoit. They're trying to take the title off The Rock. Triple H is trying to get himself back in the title picture with the help of his wife, Stephanie. Vince is just trying to kill everyone because Stone Cold's not there. So Mm -hmm. it's like Gary, occasionally when Steven's not there to direct his anger to, you just need to be careful because the anger might come to you. And it's not meant for you, it's meant for Steven, but he's not there. (laughs) (laughs) And Linda comes back and goes, no, 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 no. I've spoke to the board of directors and that's when you see Vince's, you know, his arse collapses. Goes, you can't be in this role anymore. I've got a commissioner. By the way, it's Mick Foley, who <laughs> Triple H and Stephanie had sacked back in February. So it was coming <laughs> full circle. He brought his, you know, the rise of Kurt Angle. He was leading the Who Ran Over Stone Cold storyline 
Yeah. And despite that horrible ending when it turned out to be Rikishi, it should have been Viscera. Viscera had <laughs> <laughs> The motives were there. The motives were there. <laughs> that was still an entertaining storyline. He introduced TLC. He introduced the six-man Hell in a Cell. So many mm. iconic moments came about. And then it, it leads to him getting full circle, being fired by McMahon, only to be the special guest ref at WrestleMania 17. Oh, yes. His run from 2000 to 2001 although minimum physicality was so memorable and his general manager role played sorry his commissioner role played a massive part in that and I, yeah and he had these wee office as well that I remember oh, his office was brilliant and it would move <laughs> about all the time one week it'd be in the toilet next week it'd be in the boiler room <laughs> I remember seeing a clip and it's like in a closet that China just opens and it's, it's just like him just with a wee stand just like oh hi <laughs> would you mind trying to get some work done here <laughs> and Mick was really good in the mic still back then because remember mm. when he rocked The Rock yes yeah. he had, uh, does it matter what your name is and he's just like I got Absolute you right. fully fully <laughs> <laughs> I have to say it's a very very good shout and there's a reason that people were uh, we'll get to this in a wee minute Ross with your 2016 uh, runner out but um, there was a reason people were excited to see Mick back in 2016 because they remembered uh, they had really really good faith uh, based in the back of that commissioner run so another good uh, shout there uh, Gary we welcome to you though best authority figure in the history of wrestling well my vote goes for a man who's already been mentioned by my fellow panellists as their favourite authority oh. figure it is Mr Eric Bischoff yeah he's back and better than ever I had the pleasure of meeting him. He is a handsome man. And I have an eight-point plan that I'm going to share with you as to why he is the best general manager in history. Well, I see that. Number one, he lasted four years in a row. Mm -hmm. Number two, he was actually the second longest general manager in the modern era and the longest serving general manager of a heel persuasion nice. they don't normally last long there mm-hmm. at all um, the third point number three I'd put down is he actually I think his introduction helped make the brand rivalry exciting so him and Stephanie at that point mm-hmm. it, you know, she was running Smackdown at the time they were stealing talent from all, each other mm-hmm. they had a sort of rivalry that was going they had the kiss which mm-hmm. then never that story never really went anywhere he also got to snog Linda as well oh, as what well. a lucky lucky the, boy uh, <laughs> yeah less said about that segment the better that just oh, <laughs> the more um, bring it up <laughs> uh, number point number four uh, is he he was just a classic heel he was a heat heel, heat drawn magnet he knew how to draw heat from the audience he loved doing it and he was just excellent on the mic um, so he was really good good at those points there the fifth point and you know what you need in a heel is somebody that's actually willing to get physical at times and get what they had coming and Bischoff did that over and over again with a whole range of different people Um, point 6A uh, (laughs) is connected on my 8 point plan Ah. it's connected to that uh, some of the feuds that he had he had a good feud with Stone Cold Steve Austin which went on for a long time they had a great arc there Shane McMahon John Cena feud with Smackdown Paul Heyman and Mm. everybody's favourite Eugene Oh, of course. Oh, oh, yeah. Uncle Eric. Uh, point 6B, Ross McLeod uh, tried to argue for McFoley's innovation. Well, Eric Bischoff was the man that introduced Taboo Tuesday. 
Raw Roulette and the Elimination Chamber. And who can forget him being in the ring at the first Elimination Chamber match, proclaiming that the glass was bulletproof and hitting it with a pipe. And then later in the match, Kane throws somebody through, said bulletproof glass. Yeah. He said bulletproof. He never said Kane-proof. No. <laughs> True. Uh, point number seven here, and it's I think this is one of the greatest moments in SmackDown history. It was the Billy and Chuck wedding. Oh, he was oh the God, he yeah. was the minister. I mean, not the wedding in itself, but his his role as oh. the minister and introducing um, three minute warning at that point. And you know, in the moment he says, even for three minutes, and everybody suddenly knew. Oh my yeah. God! What's going on here? <laughs> it was great. And the final thing, point number eight um, on my eight-point plan is his exit, the trial of Eric Bischoff, which was a thirty-minute segment over the course of an episode of Raw, and it was yeah. just comedy gold throughout. You know, I don't know if you could imagine that really happening today. Pure entertainment. We had. Bischoff defended by the coach, Mick Foley not bringing a briefcase out as he was a prosecution. He had his Batman lunchbox. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he was eating his lunch in court, eating his moon pie, which he then offered to the coach. Um, <laughs> Vince lis- uh, listening to uh, Ashley Simpson on his iPod <laughs> and missing Davari's testimonial. We had uh, the coach objecting and, Bis- and Vince telling him to shut up. <laughs> I mean, overruled, <laughs> overruled. Tajiri gave evidence. The masterpiece was the bailiff and was then chucked out of court for uh, for lying under oath when he claimed his name was Chris Masters. <laughs> Definitely gets my vote as the, the worst general manager. The Mick Helmsley era where she was off, uh, overexposed there, but in 2002-2003 she was a face as a fresh coat of paint there. She was a bit more of a, a, a fun character then. There's a famous segment of John Cena smacking her ass. Um, <laughs> Um, there, she then became the general manager of Raw, where she replaced the legendary Mike Adamley in two thousand and eight. Um, she get uh, uh, Daniel already mentioned about some of her our highlights as the general manager of SmackDown, the Vince versus Stephanie I quit match, which yeah. then led on to Vince versus Zach Gowan. As well, we had the authority from two thousand thirteen to two thousand and sixteen. Yeah, and then we had Stephanie as the Raw Commissioner from 2016 onwards, um, and this really uneasy relationship that she had with Mick Foley. She was, in my view, incredibly overexposed. Uh, yeah. There was too much of her, and unlike Eric Bischoff, Stephanie never got her comeuppance. You know, she never got, never really got shown up. There was moments that she put other people over. You know, like when um, Vicky Guerrero threw her into the mud bath. Uh, mm-hmm. I have never seen uh, anybody in mixed martial arts be able to counter Ronda Rousey and the way <laughs> Stephanie was able to do so at WrestleMania. Um, um, so. F- for all those reasons, uh, that's why Stephanie gets my vote as the, the worst general manager. And if I've said it before, I'll say it again. If we never see Stephanie in TV again, it will be too soon. Uh, <laughs> incredibly overexposed. And she does this horrendous thing with the one week she's this annoying, obnoxious heel. And then the next week she's out doing all the charity stuff. And it's like, we're supposed to hate you. <laughs> <laughs> and you're bringing kids uh, for the Connors Cure. 
scenario bringing the children uh, with cancer out to tell their stories of how they've It's a weird dynamic because you're, you're thinking, what's, what's she going to do to these kids? Is she going to have a huge turn in the middle of the set? Throw happening? a cake in somebody's face here. It's just, uh, she's a confused character as far as I'm concerned in TV, and I would just like to never see her again on TV. She was a very horrendous As Gary said, it's like, we find Roman Reigns £100,000. Boo! But we're giving that hundred thousand pounds to. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay. Um, how do I, I agree with Gary? She was like Gary. Obviously, got in there first when we were picking earlier on. Stephanie would have been my pick for the simple fact, you know, a spear at WrestleMania being put through the table by Rollins, being beaten up at WrestleMania by Ronda Rousey. <clears throat> these one a year comeuppances they were far too infrequent because like Eric Bischoff and even uh, Vince McMahon you know occasionally he'd maybe send everyone backstage to get Stone Cold only for Stone Cold to outsmart them and jump through the crowd and give them a stun yeah. and leave again you know and she always it was every segment it was like you couldn't get one up on mm-hmm. on her like you couldn't call her maybe incompetent yeah Vince McMahon would let you call them every name under the sun. Yeah. It, it just got to the point where it was like, she is the worst. And the one time where she didn't deserve to get beaten up was when after WrestleMania, she came out and went to shake Ronda Rousey's hand. And Ronda Rousey just for no reason beat the shit out of her. And because Good. she was that awful, we all cheered it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Ross, Ross, it's, good, it's a good argument for Stephanie there, but we, we do need to move on to like who, who are you picking? You couldn't have Steph. Who did you go for? Yes, as I, as I mentioned before, uh, my best and worst are the same. So I was originally going to pick Booker T, but much like Paige, it just... He wasn't bad, he was just so forgettable. It was, yeah. it was SmackDown does have the occasional they tend to forget about SmackDown on occasion. And mm-hmm. when they don't have a Paul Heyman there to run it or they don't have a McMahon on it, it kinda goes by the wayside and Booker T did. So mm-hmm. I've went for going off what Gary said about Stephanie McMahon. It then trickled downhill to her pick for the general manager, Mick Foley. Mm-hmm. Obviously we listened to the uh, the break there. It was them picking their their general managers. There was rumours going about Daniel Bryan was still with WWE. They weren't going to let him wrestle, so we all knew he was going to be the SmackDown general manager. Mm-hmm. We all thought Triple H was going to be Stephanie's like, mm-hmm. right hand man, because it made sense. But then all of a sudden, here comes Mick Foley, mm-hmm. who's never got along with Stephanie in storyline, mm-hmm. who, who every week try to portray Stephanie as this great person, as this really nice person person and mm-hmm. it, it started shining through from like the very first week on the draft show you had Daniel Bryan and Shane going are you sure? So like mm-hmm. the conversation like Daniel Bryan and Shane going are you sure? And Daniel Bryan goes trust me mm-hmm. alright you pick mm-hmm. and then Daniel Bryan makes the pick for Smackdown because it's their brand Yeah. whereas over on Raw there was a segment where uh, he's like with your blessing I'd like to and Stephanie's like uh, uh, and it's like even though that's just storyline, you're already portraying her as someone who's already an unlikable person. Yeah. As an unlikable person. Yeah. And it was just every every week, you know, Mick Foley was a bit past it on the mic, you know, much mm-hmm. like Kurt Angle, he came back, he couldn't go with the likes of Kevin Owens and Chris Jericho, who at that time, 
Team Chris and Kevin, or Kevin and Chris, whoever you asked, they were every week they were the highlight of Raw. They were spitting it out on the mic. Enzo and Cass at the time were quite hot. Enzo, as much as we don't like him as a person, was great yeah. on the mic. He couldn't keep up with him. You know, it was just it was showing. You know, as Gary said, it's heartbreaking to see one of your favourites or your legends get to that stage. But we were just mm-hmm. like. This is crap. And then every segment, every chance you got, Stephanie degraded him. And he mm-hmm. took it. This is the guy yeah. who life told Vince McMahon in the middle of a broadcast on commentary, go fuck yourself, and left. <laughs> and yeah. To believe that he's going to take it for Stephanie McMahon. And then even just the way his, his general manager reign ended, you know, whole Ronda Rousey thing when she got brought in, it's like, oh, they're just going to, they're going to make you their puppet. They're going to do this. And then when it looked like he had Triple H in the Mandible Claw, Stephanie low blows him. Stephanie never gets her comeuppance, as we said before. Yeah. And that just makes Mick Foley look like a goof. Mm-hmm. It just it got to the point where it was like this this is pointless. The partnership doesn't work. Why is Mick Foley still here? And then we talk about authority figures not being on TV. He buggered off. Not buggered off, he went to get a hip replacement. Yeah. Off. There was no authority figure on Raw for about four weeks. <laughs> <laughs> we had Shane and Daniel Bryan on SmackDown every week. So it just. I, I know I'm kind of just coming off of what Gary said about Stephanie, but you mixed Stephanie with Mick Foley at that stage of his career. Mm. He wasn't allowed to do anything. And it was like Vladimir Romanov at Hearts. I'm going to pick Craig Gordon to be in goals. No, no, no. I've got five <laughs> goalkeepers there. You will pick one of them. <laughs> nothing was allowed. He went to pick. The Survivor Series team, she overruled him there. He went to make, I believe it was Sasha Banks captain of Team Raw. She overruled him and made it Charlotte. Like, everything he did was overruled. He had no effect, you know, going from making TLC and Hell in the Cells to basically being like, okay, well, Sasha can't be captain, but can she be on the team? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Like, that, that, that was, it was a compromise machine, basically. I get you. I get you. And uh, it's a very good point and very good. A lot of things to weigh up here. But Spanner and the Works could come. Daniel Campbell, uh, the last uh, worst authority figure here. Well, when you're speaking about last authority figures, there's a very, you know, high. Oh. <coughs> Sorry, can I have your attention, please? <laughs> I, have, uh, I have just received an email from the anonymous Raw general manager. And I quote. <laughs> First time film suck nah, nah, we can't have that. What? Um, oh, I always hate him. I always hate that bastard. Trust me, we all hate him. So there was this very odd period. So Bret Hart had given up his post as general manager. Uh, I believe there was a it was an interesting period of time because there was a US title win as well. The Nexus had just started to make their mark. Yeah, and he was literally the US won the US championship the week before and then became the general manager and gave up the title. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it was a very strange period of time in WWE to be fair. And we then get this big moment where we find out who our new GM is because we have gone from you know, we've had the McMahons, we've had Heyman, we have had whoever the hell the guest host was that week. And then and I still don't know why we went to a laptop mm, we did <laughs> we went to a laptop that evidently didn't have anything on screen because every time they opened it you could see that Michael Cole had a script in the laptop 
So clearly there was just some guy with a typewriter who typed in a bit of paper and said, yeah, play that sound and get Michael Cole to read that over there. So <laughs> for first off, the laptop wasn't even functioning well, so that's a good start. Uh, <laughs> it had like it just would trigger like any time I would tune into Raw, I actually would just like hope and pray I don't hear that tone because I'd much I feel I'd much rather have an actual proper authority figure come out and say, right, we are going to resolve this with a match right now, rather than and then Messenger Boy comes over and reads it. So yeah. it, so there was that element. Then there was obviously they were starting to have that theory of like, oh, who could it be? Then they dropped it. They moved on. And then on an anniversary show, they decide to resolve it and Hornswoggle. I forgot about that part. Daniel, yours is the worst you win. Aye. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, (laughs) I'll tell you for why. (laughs) I mean, 13 months that story went on for. Who is it? And that was the payoff. And it was like, what the f. I'll tell you for why. The concept isn't great, right? But see if you have someone at the end of it who could lead into like a better storyline or like it would be someone exciting. That would be fair yeah. enough. I would have forgave it. Hornswoggle. There was one good point during that storyline. Remember, CM Punk was injured and he was in commentary and he was like wearing the suit with like the tags still on it. Oh and, yeah. <laughs> and he got up to read it one time because Cole was uh, had been taken out and he was like, "Oh, I'll I'll do it then." And the crowd went retro. <laughs> um, so that's probably the only good thing that I would say that came from that. The stories. premise of the anonymous GM, I know obviously, like, it was stupid to have a laptop, but the original premise was Vince McMahon had been taken out by the Nexus, Bret Hart had been taken out by the Nexus, so the general manager was going to remain anonymous mm-hmm. so he could protect his identity and still run the show, mm-hmm. so he could be impartial, so he couldn't be intimidated, and that, at the start, is a good thing to go with. But mm-hmm. when the Nexus is gone in December and you're still there at WrestleMania. Yeah. You know, we, we can talk about WrestleMania guest hosts all we want. We can talk about how, you know, Rock Cena was all over the product at WrestleMania 27 when it should have mm-hmm. shouldn't have been. But when you've got a guest host, The Rock, at WrestleMania, what is the need for the anonymous Raw General Manager to show up? And, yeah, you could have made The Rock. Yeah, the review. at the end of the match only for Rock to say it doesn't matter like surely the Rock doesn't even need to go to the laptop and go no actually I'm the Rock I'm the host <laughs> I'm deciding can we also yeah. just can we also just point out we're glancing over the fact that it's because of this damn laptop Michael Cole is 1-0 at Wrestlemania yes yes as well mm. this, and, I, it's a very strong case Daniel makes <laughs> to be fair <laughs> just, you just have to mention Michael Cole and it's a win right there <laughs> There was so many like, people. It could, have, it could have been like, like, could have been Stephanie. She was off screen at the time. You know what I mean? Hmm. As much as we do, don't like Stephanie, it'd yeah. be a more believable authority figure who was just being an ass and doing everything to amuse herself yeah. than Hornswoggle for fuck's sake. Yeah, it was Jerry Lawler that was in the ring when Santino found that Hornswoggle under the ring. Surely, if you found the guy who caused the history books to say. WrestleMania, <laughs> Michael Cole beats Jerry Lawler. The <laughs> bastard across the ring. <laughs> I agree with you. 
I agree with you. It's amazing we've had this conversation about poor general managers and nobody has mentioned Armando Estrada from ECW fame. Wow, that's a hidden one in there. I forgot about that. I yeah. think everybody did. Oh, oh, wait, did, he ha- did he have the storyline with um, what's his face? Colin Scrawny. Yeah, that's him. Yeah, uh, Alejandro, Alejandro <laughs> Estrada. <laughs> everybody, that. listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we we did have some other shouts. I think Daniel was one for a panel, just putting out a very strong argument for the Roman's Raw general manager. But we had some other shouts for the worst, of course. Uh, Alan McLucas controversially. Uh, his name Teddy Long. Uh, I thought you just said worst. Brock Lesnar. I was just saying <laughs> Brock Lesnar from Alan. He's taking a lot of controversial take once again with Teddy Long. Uh, Scott McLeod has said Mike Adamley has to be the worst. A man so forgettable there wasn't even a gif of him available. <laughs> uh, Ryan Dalgleish has said, let's not forget, Baron Corbin has been named. Uh, David Hockney has said uh, that Mike Adamley um, is also the worst agreeing uh, with his... Mike, uh, Adamley was, Mike Adamley was dynamite in American Gladiators. <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then the Gladiator crossover shows that he hosted with Larika Johnson. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Amazing stuff. Uh, Dave Holmes agrees with Ross, specifically in Mick Foley's 20, 26 run, uh, 16 run, so he's going for that. Uh, Gordon J. Bell says Vince Russo uh, was the worst authority figure in wrestling history. A very good shout there. Um, and Sean Smith has said, uh, agreed with Daniel Campbell that it is the anonymous Raw General Manager. But Thank you guys for your, your contributions today. And that wraps up our discussion on authority figures in wrestling. Uh, I'd like to say goodbye to all my panel, but like, we'll bit the dust uh, quite, quite early. Some of it is due to technical difficulties and the like. Campbell, do we have a winner? Uh, who is who is the official worst general so, manager in history? It was, uh, it's Daniel Campbell, uh, one with the anonymous Raw general manager. Yeah, he can has just, to be the winner there. Can I just point out, obviously, as we were recording, there is a Rangers game going on. And in 23 minutes, Rangers have had two injuries and had to make two substitutions. That's like our podcast today. We lost Ryan. We lost Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> but we keep going. Um, and I'll have to, I have to say thank you to Daniel. I have to say thank you to Ross. I have to say thank you to Gary. Um, especially Gary. Always Gary. Um, thank, thank you, you very much. For <laughs> Don't forget, um, you can get all the other content that's on this feed. You can tune in to Central or New Flagship Show where we run down all the, the news and reviews uh, from the week that was in wrestling. Uh, you can check out Saturday Draft Live. You can check out East Meets West. You can check out The Conspiracy Theory. And you can check out um, Quiz Showdown. A lot on offer uh, from the wonderful team here at Suplex Retweet. But until next time, I say to you goodbye. And from the rest of my panel, they say... Goodbye. Hello, I am the GOAT, David Campbell, and I would like to invite you, the listener, to my new show over at Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet's YouTube channel. And that show is The Conspiracy Theory, where once a month, I will be taking a look at all the rumours and speculation in the world of professional wrestling and giving the most important opinion on the matter. 
my opinion. Yes, that's right. Head over to Suplex Retweet's YouTube channel, like, share and subscribe where you'll get a lot of other great content over there, such as the new hit show, Quiz Showdown. But don't forget, check out my new show, The Conspiracy Theory, on Suplex Retweet's YouTube channel. Farewell, friends.